whatever occupation or work you may have had at the time for now and freed yourself to listen to some discussion of deen this is itself a great ni'mat of allah taala nevertheless what is very important is that the purpose for listening to any talk of deen should be that the comes part of our life we act on what we are discussing the speaker the listeners all make the niyat of amal that allah taala make it possible for us to practice on whatever we will speak and hear in any case this dunya that we live in allah taala has made it a place of cause and if so a person will eat something eating is a means and the person's hunger being satisfied is the effect so the cause and the effect generally will take place in this way person is thirsty the person will drink something and the thirst will be quenched drinking the water would be the means and the cause and the effect of it would be that the thirst of a person will be quenched likewise person puts his hand in fire he get burned the drinking or the the putting of the hand in the fire so the fire is the means and whatever comes into it the effect of burning will take place whenever allah taala wills it will not happen like in the case of ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam he was in the fire of namrud for 40 days not a single hair also burned on him rather that fire became a garden for him but that would be the exception the rule in terms of the system allah taala has created in dunya is that whatever means a person adopts then the particular effect will be experienced now this is something we commonly understand we accept in terms of day to day life every person any sane person doesn't put his hand in the fire because he knows this will burn him so he's heard the incident of ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam but he still doesn't take a chance he heard the incident of hazrat khalid bin walid radhiyallahu ta'ala that he was presented with a bottle of poison and he recited bismillah alladhi la yadurru ma asmihi shay'un fil ardi wa la fis samaa wa huwa as-sami'ul alim it was extremely uh, poisonous the substance that he was given was very dangerous but he read this and he drank it up and nothing happened to him now we've heard this incident before but nobody takes a chance drinking any poison that it didn't happen to him so it won't happen to me also no the system allah taala has placed in dunya is that if a person drinks poison it will have its effect so we all abide by this understanding we all abide by this cause and effect principle we undertake those means which are positive for the positive effect we refrain and avoid those means and those causes that bring about a negative effect this is something which is part of our day to day life the same principle of cause and effect that is part of this physical system the same thing applies the principle applies in terms of the spiritual part of life as well a person adopts righteous means then the good effect of it comes in the quran sharif allah taala says that wa'mur ahlaka bis-salati was-sabr 'alayha la nas'aluka rizqa nahnu narzuquk allah taala says that command your family members to perform their salah and you also be regular upon it now this is the command about salah 
And together with that, Allah says, نَحْنُ نَرُزُقُكُ We provide risk and sustenance for you. We don't ask you to provide any sustenance for us. So what is the link between the two? Many a times, a person who puts his salah, he doesn't uh, perform his salah with jama'ah maybe, in the case of males, or people make the salah qaza. Why? I was very busy. I was caught up in a shop. I was caught up in some business meeting. For the purpose of rizq, people forsake their salah. This is a common story. So Allah Ta'ala is saying to us up front, that rizq will come via salah. Not that a person is going to now think it's going to happen the other way around. So Allah Ta'ala is saying, we provide the rizq, you don't provide it. So you obey us, perform your salah on time, correctly, we'll grant you rizq with barakat, with afiyat, halal and tayyib rizq. Rizq is, with barakat is that rizq which is productive in a positive way, it brings happiness, it brings joy, it brings serenity, it fulfills the person's needs in a very good way. Otherwise, azab also comes sometimes in the form of wealth. Sometimes it's rahmat that comes in the form of wealth. And sometimes azab comes in the form of wealth. When that very wealth becomes a means of a person's life becoming miserable. How often it happens? And people say this, from time to time people make this comment, I wish I never had this wealth. It's made my life a misery. So when will that halal and tayyib rizq which becomes a means of rahmat come? When a person has been obedient to Allah Ta'ala. In the hadith, Nabi Salaam says, person who performs his five daily salah with jama'ah, in the case of males obviously, Allah Ta'ala will grant him five favors. And one of those five favors is, his daily risk will be made easy. So, this is a direct link. This is the means, that's the effect. The means is adopting salah, bringing salah in one's life. The effect is the ease of risk. So this direct link. Now, it is not outwardly visible with the link. But we are all children in this regard. Like a little child, you press that switch on the wall and some people will tell the child, see magic. And the child has grown a little bit, see magic now. I'm pressing this button here, see the light came on there. Now that poor child doesn't know where's the link, where's the wiring behind the wall and so on. He doesn't know. He only is amazed. This button here and the light there. But we who have grown beyond that level, we understand that there's a link behind it. So, in terms of the spiritual part of life, we are all total children. And Allah's Nabi Wasallam, He's seen the realities. And He is telling us that there is this link behind the scenes. So, a person who will be conscious about the salah, perform it regularly, perform it on time, in the case of males, perform it with jama'ah, then this will become the means of the risk becoming easy. Likewise, in the Hadith Sharif, Nabi Wasallam says, in the hadith of Ibn Majah Sharif, Nabi Islam says that a person is deprived of rizq due to the sin that he incurs. A person gets involved in some guna, in some sin, that's the means. What is the effect? That he becomes deprived of rizq. The barakat is taken out of that rizq. And then even if there is an excess of wealth, when the barakat has been removed from it, then that becomes a source of misery. That becomes a means of great amount of problems. It becomes a route to many, many fights and quarrels and disputes and whatever else, when the barakat has been taken away. So, what is told to us is that there is this link. There is a cause, there is an effect. The cause, the means, when it was positive, it brought the positive effect. When it was negative, a person involved himself in sin, in haram, he became deprived of risk. Or the barakat of the risk was taken away. Then there are many, many things that are mentioned in the ahadith, where Nabi Sallallahu once on one occasion, he, Hazrat Abdullah bin Umar he reports that Aqbala alina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah's Nabi Sallallahu once turned towards us, and then he said, فَقَالَ يَا مَعْشَرَ الْمُحَاجِرِينَ Oh, Muhajirin, خَمْسٌ إِذَا تُلِيْتُمْ بِهِنْ وَأَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ أَنْ تُدْرِكُوهُنْ That I really fear five things befalling you. And I seek Allah's protection that this ever becomes the situation that you face these five things. 
Now, Allah, the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he is seeking Allah Ta'ala's protection. How dangerous would this be? That he is saying, وَعَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ أَن That I fear Allah, I, I seek Allah Ta'ala's protection. That you face these five things. What are these things? One aspect Nabi Sallallahu mentioned, لَمْ تَظْهَرِ الْفَاحِشَةُ فِي قَوْمٍ قَدْتُ حَتَّى يُعْلِنُوا بِهَا إِلَّا فَشَافِيهِمُ الطَّاعُونَ that when immorality will become rife in any community, and then there's an additional point which we will deal with just now, the B Sassum says, and when they will start becoming immoral openly, then such illnesses first will be plagues, and such illnesses will befall them which their forefathers had never heard of. Whose forefathers living today, maybe 50 years ago, who heard of AIDS? Who heard of Ebola? Who heard of all these other diseases that come about? <coughs> For somebody who has their gaze on the Quran and the Sunnah, this is nothing uh, very surprising. person sees what's going on and sees the prophecies just unfolding. So this was the first thing Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi mentioned. Then he mentioned... وَلَمْ يَنْقُصُ الْمِكْيَالَ وَالْإِزَانِ إِلَّا أُخِذُوا بِالسِّنِينَ وَشِدَّةِ الْمُؤُونَةِ وَجَوْرِ السُّلْطَانِ عَلِيهِمْ That when people will start cheating in weight and measure. Now this is not only restricted and confined to when a person is measuring a piece of cloth or a person is weighing some grain. In principle, a person gets involved in cheating. In whichever way. Sometimes this happens between people just in their Social lives. We cheat in people's time. We cheat in so many things. Allah forbid. So when people will start cheating, then there will be famine. There will be difficult times in terms of cost of things, commodities, inflation. There will be oppression. And then Nabi Islam says, وَلَمْ يَمْنَعُوا زَكَاتَ أَمْوَالِهِمْ إِلَّا مُنِعُوا الْقَطْرَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ that when they will withhold their zakat. Now, sometimes a person has some jewelry, gold, silver, and zakat is compulsory upon it. And many people are haphazard about it. They just pay something and think that they fulfill the due of it. Whereas, it was underpaid. Some don't even take any note of it. This is obviously a very, very dangerous thing. Zakat is compulsory. It's one of the pillars of Islam. So Nabi Islam is saying, when people will withhold their zakat, then Allah Ta'ala will withhold the rains. And further Nabi Islam says, had it not been for the animals, Allah Ta'ala won't bring one drop of rain down. So the, these are means that we are discussing, immorality becoming rife, <coughs> people cheating in weight and measure, <coughs> people getting involved in oppression, uh, people getting involved in all kinds of sins, withholding zakat. Now these are all means. And what is the effect of it? All these difficulties, these hardships. Then the Bismillah further says, وَلَمْ يَنْقُضُوا أَحْدَ اللَّهِ وَأَحْدَ رَسُولِهِ إِلَّا سَلَّطَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ عَدُوًا مِنْ غَيْرِهِمْ That when they will break the pact and the covenant of Allah Ta'ala, the promise that we have made with Allah Ta'ala, that we will remain obedient to Him. We will worship Him alone. We will not give preference to our desires over his command and all the other things that go along with it. Then what will be the end result of this? Allah Ta'ala will put upon them an enemy from outside and that enemy will start robbing them, will start taking their things away. And then the last thing the Bishra says that when their rulers will rule in a way that is against the command of Allah Ta'ala then Allah Ta'ala will cause dissension and fights to take place between them, within them. Now this is what we see throughout the world happening. Now this is again the same cause and effect relationship. There's a means, there's a cause, this is the effect. So this is, there are many many things mentioned in the ahadith of this nature. The issue is, the, the summary of it is, the sins become the means of difficulties. Sins become the means of hardship. So sins is something that is 
some, we have to avoid it at every cost because this will bring down the wrath of Allah Ta'ala. But then comes the question that is there something worse than sin? Sins in principle have this effect. But is there something worse than sin? Obviously, if there's something worse than sin, the effect of it will be worse also. So what is worse than sin is open sin. A person starts openly sinning, invites people to watch the sin, or a person prances about in a way that is sinful and doesn't bother who's watching, who's uh, observing, what's going on. So this is something that is worse than sin itself. In the Hadith Sharif, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, The Bukhari Sharif riwayat, the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says that every one of my ummah will be pardoned. If that person repents, the person turns to Allah Ta'ala, then inshallah they'll get pardoned. Does it mean that somebody repents, they won't get pardoned? It doesn't mean that, but there are certain things within the tawfiq of toba also goes away. And this is what is being expressed here, that everyone in my ummah will be forgiven. Except illal mujahireen. Except those who are open sinners. They blatantly sin. Now, what is this blatant sinning? One of the ways in which this blatant sinning takes place, this open sinning takes place, Nabi Salaam explains this in the same hadith, that وَإِنَّ مِنَ الْمُجَاهِرَةِ أَيَّا عَمَلَ الرَّجُلُ بِاللَّيْلِ عَمَلًا That Part of this open sinning is that at night a person did something. But Allah Ta'ala, out of His grace and mercy, the sin that this person committed at night, Allah Ta'ala covered it up. He committed the sin secretly. Allah Ta'ala also covered that sin. But what happens the next day? He wakes up the next day, ya fulan, kada wa kada. He wakes up the next day, he starts talking about it. He says, you know what I did last night? I did this, I did that. And he starts advertising the wrong that he did, which Allah Ta'ala also out of his grace had covered it. Allah Ta'ala did not expose it. Now he himself, Nabi Salaam says, وَقَدْ بَعْتَ يَسْتُرُهُ رَبُّهُ وَيُسْبِحُ يَكْشِفُ سِتْرَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ That Allah Ta'ala had covered his sin the whole night. He wakes up in the morning and he tears open the veil of Allah Ta'ala. Now he is challenging Allah Ta'ala. Now this is an open thing. So one is that a person has committed some wrong and then we start advertising it. How does this happen? Via the social media for example. How many people do things and then now it's for the whole world to see what they did. Are they taking pictures of themselves doing the haram and now they are posting it. Or they are putting the whole detail of what went on and they are putting it for everybody to now read. That this is what I did, where I went and all the haram that took place. Now is this not the application of this hadith is the, what is being warned against in this hadith sharif does it not apply to this? It obviously applies. Now this Nabi Salaam is saying, illal mujahirin that the open sinners won't be pardoned because it's very rare that when a person continues in this manner, then the person even thinks of repenting. They're busy advertising. They are busy now plastering throughout all over the place that this is what I did. So that is one way in which this open sinning takes place. That a person did something quietly, but then himself starts talking about it. In To expose a sin is itself a sin, one's own sin. To talk about it. This is a movie I saw. And this is where I went. That is the party I went to and this is what happened there. And all this, that one is the haram that took place. And then talking about it, mentioning it to somebody else, is a separate sin itself. And such a dangerous sin, it is worse than the original sin. The original sin is dangerous enough, it is a terrible thing, this is even worse. Because Nabi Islam is highlighting it. That this is part of blatant sinning. And this is a person is getting deprived of that pardon of Allah Ta'ala. Then the second level is, that a person then is gone even one step ahead. Let alone bring something secretly, the person does it for the whole world to view. There's no conscience. And what does it matter? It is as if to say that, why should I fear anybody? And as if to say, nobody says it in this way, and inshallah nobody means it in this way. But the actions, as if to say, are saying, 
that I'm not even worried about if Allah Ta'ala also brings his wrath on me, I'm fine. Now there are many many things in which this happens. Just to take a few things. One is, for example, the dressing. Especially, unfortunately, the dressing of our sisters has become, in many many cases, such. And if a person says in the majority of cases, then to there is little fear of contradiction. That in the vast majority, that the situation has become such that even the disbelieving woman, kuffar woman, 30, 40 years ago, maybe 50 years ago, they would have been totally ashamed to wear those kind of garments. Because there was such a general amount of shame and modesty even in the disbelievers. So where have we gone to? And then it's worn in front of anyone and everyone, in front of the father and brother and son, and in public, in at weddings, and where there's all intermingling taking place. There have been women who have asked a question, is it permissible to attend this wedding? Because this is a kind of dressing that other females are dressed in. So a female is feeling totally out of place, embarrassed at the way other women are dressed in a function. And therefore she is asking the question, let alone the intermingling. That is now another issue altogether. That a woman is embarrassed about being in that kind of function because of the way other women are dressed. So that itself spells it out that where has it gone to? Now, this is part of that open sinning. This is challenging Allah. So the social media, this aspect of this dressing, all this is indeed a very, very dangerous situation. It is drawing down the wrath of Allah Ta'ala, this open immorality. And in the hadith, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentions this. When zina and interest will become rife in a community, then they have drawn down the wrath of Allah Ta'ala. Not that it will come. It's already there. But it manifests itself in different ways. And a person sometimes just cannot register that this is where it's coming from. But this is the rock that Allah Ta'ala, that has come from the side of Allah Ta'ala because of the open shamelessness. So this is something we have to sit and take note of. We have to become conscious of it. The aspect that is being mentioned is Zahra Zina or Riba. When this adultery and Zina will become rife. What is happening via social media? What is all this chatting about? It all falls under the same category. It's all of differing degrees, but it's all part of the same sin. In the hadith, Nabi Islam says, Zina al-Ayni al-Nawr. The zina of the eyes is to look at haram, to look at non-mahrams. The zina of the hand is to do something haram. The chatting that goes on, is that not zina of the hand? And how common this is? And Allah forbid, unmarried, married people. So this is something we have to make toba from. These Mubarak days and nights are now almost with us. The 15th of Shaban is right here. Then the month of Ramadan is at our doorstep. This is the time now to make sincere toba, to come back to Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala's doors of mercy are open. There is never a moment of despondency for a mu'min. No matter what a person has got himself involved in, if we come back sincerely to Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala will grant His forgiveness. Allah Ta'ala will open the way forward. But the important thing is to come back. Then, a very important aspect that we wish to now elaborate on a little in some detail, where this open sinning takes place. This is the aspect of weddings. That the manner in which these things are happening and the extent to which people are going into open selling, this is indeed extremely worrying, very dangerous for the people concerned for the entire community. 
Because when things become widespread, when evil becomes rife, and then when the azab of Allah Ta'ala comes, it engulfs everybody. In the hadith of Bukhari Sharif, Nabi Sallallahu was asked that that will we even be destroyed when there are pious people among us? Nabi Sallallahu replied and said, Naam, ila kathur al Yes, when evil becomes rife, then an all-engulfing azab can come down. Then on the day of Qiyamah, the pious will be raised with their piety and they will be blessed with Allah wa ta'ala, and the evil and the sinners, they will have to face the consequences of their sin. But in dunya, when the azab comes, when evil has become rife, then it spares nobody. Illa mashallah. So this is something we have to be very worried about. Ask Allah Ta'ala's protection, big Allah Ta'ala's rahmat and mercy, big Allah Ta'ala's forgiveness, and also stay far away from those means that bring down this wrath. Now we are talking about weddings. We need to sit and reflect very, very carefully. Where is this heading? What is the direction that we are taking in terms of these weddings? We are talking about open sinning and the means, the open sinning becomes the means of the wrath of Allah Ta'ala. In a wedding, how many open sins take place? For example, in so many weddings, intermingling, nobody gives a second thought to it. Whereas that is haram, that people are openly intermingling with one another and everybody is like one big family. This is not permissible, but nobody gives a second thought to it, that is the dangerous part. Nobody bothers that this is wrong. The first part is dangerous enough that this intermingling is taking place and worse than that is that everybody is quite comfortable with it. And then as we mentioned earlier that how people are dressed and on top of that this kind of intermingling and the most nowadays if something is done, then what is done in one corner there is a parda section. In one corner there is a parda section. So as if to say that we are saying that deen Imam, the way of life of Rasulullah you stay in the corner. You don't come and interfere in our fun. We are enjoying ourselves here. We will make a provision for you. You stay in the corner. Imam, stay in the corner. Deen, you stay in the corner. The way of life of Rasulullah you stay in the corner. The rest of the function, the way of the Yahud and Nasara. Nabi in the corner, so sometimes people write, they ask this question, that this function will be taking place, and but there will be a parda section, everything else will be all mixed up, but can I attend and should I attend, and would it be fine if I'm just in the parda section, but look at it from this angle. That we are also now saying that it's fine that as long as, even if it's in the corner, if Dean is in the corner too, it's fine, no problem. So this is one major issue, this intermingling. Then, with time as time goes, the amount of wastage increases. The amount of wealth that people generally have nowadays, a large section of the community, not everybody, this was never the case previously, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. People didn't have so much of excess wealth. But this excess wealth is not for us to do as we please. This is the amanat of Allah wa ta'ala. And we will be questioned about this on the day of Qiyamah. That a person will not be able to shift from the spot he's standing on on the day of Qiyamah until he is asked four questions and he gives the answers. And in other words, if he fails in those answers, he's already in big trouble. And one of those questions is that his wealth, where he earned it from, and how he spent it. That's a question. Now, is somebody going to be passing on the day of Qiyamah when he answers that I spent a couple of hundred thousand rands in deco? That there was a wedding, my daughter's wedding, my son's wedding, some wedding in the family, and I spent fifty thousand, hundred thousand on deco. There's one person who does some catering, etc. So he's quite familiar with all these things that go on because he sees it firsthand. 
And from time to time, we'll meet sometimes. So he'll give me the rundown of what he saw and what happened. And all the things. And each time he says, I thought what I saw last time was bad enough. Now it was worse. It's a different thing than whether he should be part of even catering for such a function. But in any case, he gives us update. <coughs> so he told me once, that there is one person, one Muslim person, who has become a multi-multi-millionaire. And that person told him, because now they meet up at functions and so on, so that person told him, I really made it big. What he does, he does all the stage deco and all this deco for that functions, for the halls and for the tent and whatever else. So he told him he became rich doing deco for Muslim weddings. He became rich doing deco for Muslim weddings. And that deco is all what? All torn and thrown away. After that wedding, it's all torn and thrown away. Tens of thousands of rands are spent on flowers. On flowers, people don't have flour to eat. Flour to bake their bread, to make some roti. They don't have even the basic necessities of life. And we have tens of thousands of rands to spend on flowers. Cards, one one card worth 20 rands, 30 rands, 50 rands. And nowadays it's not a card, sometimes it's a box of cards. And a person, somebody told me this would be nothing under 50 rands. And how many people in, invited to the wedding? Thousand people. So even if it's thousand uh, people, 50 rands, it's 50,000 rands. If supposing that was 500 people the cards went to because of families, so that was 25,000 rands. And people are sleeping on cardboard because they don't have anything to sleep on. Throughout the world there are so many instances happening. So many, our Muslim brothers and sisters, let alone others, even our Muslim brothers and sisters in this country, throughout the world, in such dire circumstances, they don't have the basic amenities of life. And we have so much of money to spend on cars, whereas a simple message would have done the job. So, this is all part of this wastage. And wastage, this also draws the wrath of Allah Ta'ala. In the Quran Sharif, Allah Ta'ala says, Kulu wala tusrifu. Eat and drink the halal ni'mat of Allah Ta'ala, but don't waste. Wastage is a very dangerous thing. Wasting brings Allah Ta'ala azab. Now all this deco and this flowers, tens of thousands of rands on flowers and all these fancy cards and all these things, this all falls in this category of wastage. Then everything now must be done in a theme. So what is the theme? The theme is anything but the theme of sunnah. Every other theme, the theme of the Yahud and Nasara and the theme of this and that and the other. And then because now everything has to be of a fitting in with the theme. So there's tens of thousands, maybe Allah knows best how much gets spent in that. Hundreds of thousands to fit the theme in. Now what is this? And where is this competition going to finish off? And are we not going to be answerable for this on the day of Tiamat? Is the theme of the Sunnah not sufficient for us? Are we searching for something apart from the way of life of Rasulullah to appease ourselves? We will have to face Allah's Nabi on the day of Tiamat. We need his shafa'at and his intercession. On that day when our parents, our children, everyone will flee away from us. Allah Ta'ala says on that day, everyone will flee from each other. Everyone will be concerned about themselves. Nobody will be worried about the next. On that day, there will be one personality saying, Ya Rabbi Ummati, Ya Rabbi Ummati. It will be the Nabi of Allah Ta'ala worried about his Ummat. But, if we have repeatedly and constantly turned our backs onto his way of life, and in place of his way, kept on taking the way of the Yahud and Nasara, and 
openly then going about it and competing with one another to try and exceed in how much more we can go away from the sunnah then how can we expect that shafat on the day of Tiamat? And in how many things we adopt the ways of the Yahud and Nasara? This whole wedding function from months before that wedding even happens, there are so many things that happen which are way out of line and totally away from the way of Rasulullah Whatever the Yahud and Nasara have started off, we take it. There's a thing called a bridal shower. Where did this bridal shower come from? And what is this bridal shower all about? So for our understanding, in simple terms, this is very sophisticated begging. This is what this bridal shower is all about. Sophisticated begging. Because at bridal shower, people have to come with their own, with a gift. Everybody comes with one gift. If somebody is invited, it's obvious, you come with a gift. So what is that now? Is that not sophisticated begging? One is to ask somebody that, uh, please, I, will you give me this or will you give me that? The other is you are invited to a bridal shower. So what does that mean? You come, there will be one party thrown for you, but you come with a gift. And the gift will be also recorded by the gifts registrar. Allah knows best way all these things come from. So, this is a form of begging to start off with. And then, Allah forbid, this open sinning. It was a year or two or a little more than that maybe. One person came and he said, I need to discuss something. What do you need to discuss? So he says, my wife was invited to a bridal shower. So she went because it was apparently from people who were being conscious. Now, she didn't think about the aspect also of this sophisticated begging. So she attended. And he says that she barely went there and in about 15-20 minutes she was already frantically phoning the husband that please I need to leave here urgently. So he was already gone, but then he took a U-turn from wherever he was because initially somehow they called him his phone, the reception, whatever. So he finally took a U-turn and came and fetched her. He says, but you only just came, it couldn't have already finished off, and what's the problem? So I can't get into the details now of what he mentioned to me, but the sum total of it was that this was an event of utmost disgusting, shocking immorality. And the people that were gathered there, according to what his wife told him, were all, well not all, but many of them, like she was, many of them were those who adopt Islamic attire out of the home. They would be donned in a cloak, in niqab, some maybe not Dawned in that kind of attire, but they are dini conscious to some other extent, whatever. And they were all invited, many were invited. And what she realized is that everybody is quite comfortable what's going on here, and they are becoming part of all this immorality and vice that is taking place here. And her imani conscience couldn't let her wait for this to finish off. She left long before it even got into full gear. Now, as I said, it is not possible to discuss the details of this, whatever details he had mentioned. But this is a shocking thing of what was described. And what is this, what barakat is this going to bring in a marriage? How the bride-to-be was dressed up, in which kind of filthy way, and all kinds of the most disgusting and nauseating kind of things. Things that a person hearing it wants to spew. And this, I mean, the prelude to a nikah, the prelude to a Muslim wedding, are we actually begging Allah for his wrath? Are we actually, as if like how a person makes dua, Ya Allah, send down your rahmat. It is as if we are begging Allah to send down his wrath with our actions. 
Is there no shame left? Is there no haya? In the Hadith Sharif, Nabi Islam says, إِذَا فَاتَكَ الْحَيَا فَفْعَلْ مَا شِئْتَ When haya is gone, a person will do what they want. Nothing will bother them. Who is going to talk about it outside? Where this message will go to? What people will say? There are males being brought in here for the entertainment into this woman's gathering and whatever else is carrying on. Nobody is concerned in any way in that whole function. So what, what level of shame is left? What haya is left? And But there's some fun here. There's a nice party being thrown here. There's some delicious food here. So I've got to be part of it also. I'm not being all the haram. I'm just here. So I've got to be part of it. But where's the shame in being there? Does a person, can a person with haya be in such an environment? In such a venue? In such a function? So this theme is one thing completely that the theme, anything but the sunnah. What is the sunnah theme? The theme of sunnah in a, in a nikah is inna a'azaman nikahi barakatan aysaguhu ma'una aw kama qala nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa the nikah with the greatest barakat is that nikah wherein the least expense has been incurred that is the theme of sunnah so where have we gone to the theme of this and that and the other and then that becomes a talking point talking point in which way people then make a mockery of it that look at the amount of money these people wasted just for this theme Two, three people will make it sound, oh, this is a terrific thing, you know, you really did it in style. But behind the back, he's stabbing the same person. This is a standard story. So, this is again one major aspect. Then during that nikah, so many things. As we mentioned just now, the aspect of the intermingling, then there's music. In the Hadith Sharif, it comes that those who listen to music, Molten lead will be put into their ears on the day of Tiamat. Now, one is a person is listening to music privately, alone. That is a terrible sin. Now we're playing that music for everybody to listen to and for everybody to get involved in it. So, this sin is compounded and this is part of that open sinning. What a dangerous thing this is. Then, Allah forbid, there is now. Shaitan doesn't leave things in one point because it's all from Shaitan. And Shaitan's objective is to bring complete destruction to a person. So Shaitan won't be content that a person has done one wrong thing. You see dragging deeper and deeper into the mess, deeper and deeper into the filth. Barely Maybe a year or two ago, maybe a little more, we had never ever heard, Allah knows that, but we have never heard of dancing in a Muslim wedding. It might have happened somewhere, but it wasn't common knowledge. And it was definitely not in some wedding where there were even deeny conscious people. Dancing? What is this? Where is a Muslim wedding and dancing? Where does this fit in? This is something which in the Hadith Sharif, Nabi Sallallahu in one Hadith, lengthy Hadith, he says, إِذَا فَعَلَتْ أُمَّتِي خَمْسَ عَشَرَةَ خَسْلَةً حَلَّتْ بِهَا الْبَلَاءِ When my Ummah will get involved in 15 things, then حَلَّتْ بِهَا الْبَلَاءِ The word Bala is well understood. Anybody who knows some Urdu, even Gujarati, and many other Indian languages also, the same word is used for the same meaning. It's originally Arabic, but it is used in these languages as well. Bala calamities. Nabi Islam says when my Ummah will get involved in 15 things, the calamities will rain down upon them. Hallat bihal bala. The calamities will rain down in their personal lives, in their family lives, in their extended family situations, in their day-to-day lives, in their social lives, in the entire community. These calamities will start coming down one after the other. And how many times it has happened? Because of all these haram things that happen in weddings, the very wedding, wedding is a very happy occasion. It's meant to bring about happiness all around because two people are going to be united in this bond of nikah, which is such a sacred bond. So it's meant to bring happiness all around. That very wedding became the means of splitting the immediate family in so many pieces. Now why would that happen? Such a great ibadat, such a happy occasion, 
and it becomes a means of splitting the family in so many pieces because of all the haram that takes place. So there's already the azab coming down. So, this dancing in the hadith of this hadith of Nabi Sallallahu among those 15 things, one of the things he mentions is that when dancing girls and musical instruments will be adopted and resorted to. People will resort to musical instruments and they'll have dancing girls dancing for them. Now, is that nikah or that the word nikah is also something whether we should use that. It is a nikah obviously, but not this function. The nikah is something that took place in the masjid. That is this something not drawing down the wrath of Allah Ta'ala? And then obviously if that dancing is taking place, then there's some preparation for that dancing that happens beforehand. So days on end, there must be some kind of practicing taking place. There must be some kind of rehearsal that are happening. What are we doing to our iman? What are we doing to our deen? What kind of azab we want to bring down? Again, it's saying it's as if, as if we are na'uzu billah, begging Allah ta'ala that rain down your azab on us. Are we not afraid? Do we think that all this is just wishful thinking? Then let us think again. Many, many years ago, in 1961, 1961, perhaps most people listening were not born at that time. Hazrat Mawla Abdul Hassan Ali Nadwi Rahmatullahi, a great scholar of the recent past, he passed away about 15 years ago. He, <coughs> he had visited Burma and while he was there, he observed what was going on and all the wastage that was taking place, the lives that people were living, they were very wealthy. The Muslims of Burma at that time were very wealthy, extremely wealthy. And as a result, they were living very lavish lives. And then again, in that lavish lives, their weddings and functions of the same style, in that era and period of time, whatever was extremely lavish for that time. And he observed all this. And then he gave a talk. Over the time that he was there, one talk he gave in a very well-known masjid there, which is still existing up to this day, and that talk was recorded and is available on some websites on the internet up to this day. The talk is in Urdu. The talk was transcribed and published in English as well. It was published by from Azadul under the title of a thought-provoking lecture of Mawla Sayyid Awul Hassan Ali Nadwi Rahmatullah in Burma and it was published by the Madrasa Dawat al in Azadul so this talk is not something that is just somebody's imagination it is on record in 1961 he addressed the people he was a person of a very high caliber he had received the King Faisal Award for service to Islam over a million riyals and he distributed this entire amount among the Madrasas of India. He didn't keep one but for himself personally. Can we imagine the caliber of the person? He was very well acclaimed in, in India, Pakistan and other countries and the Arab lands. Even the Arabs had a very high regard for him. When he passed away, according to the Shafi Mazhab, the Hanbali Mazhab, a person passed away elsewhere in some other country also. His Janaza Salah can be made somewhere else. So in the Haramein Sharifin also they performed Janaza Salah for him. So this shows us what regard they had for him. He is the person who gave this lecture when he was much younger. He was very young at that time, 1961. He passed away in about 1999-2000. So this was 40 years before he passed away. He was perhaps about 80 years old when he passed away. So he was only about 40 years old. And he gave this talk in that masjid. And he said to them, there are many things he mentioned. It was over and over the talk. And then he told them very, very openly, very plainly, very, very directly. He said, look what I am seeing. He says, this is something very dangerous. And then he said, that look, start paying attention to serving the deen of Allah Ta'ala. He said, because in my capacity, I would shut down. I would shut down all your factories, your shops, your businesses, everything for two to three years. Because you already got so much. And I would tell each one now, you dedicate your time to deen. And to serving deen. And bringing deen alive. And if you do this, then Allah Ta'ala will grant you this country also. And your factories, your shops, your businesses and all your things, your homes and whatever else, everything will be protected. 
And then he said further, it was as if he wasn't speaking, but these words were being inspired in his heart and it was coming without him even realizing that what he's saying. He then said, that mark my words. He said, Yadr of course, mark my words, that if you don't do this, then a very difficult time is then coming. And then he said, you will not be even allowed to live in this country. You will be expelled from this country. Now he said these words. And as it often happens, when somebody says something which doesn't digest well, doesn't go down people's throats well, so then they will have some negative comment about it. Or the least they will say, well, this person is just saying something he, he doesn't know. Leave him. Let him go. But it was barely some years later that the revolution took place in Burma. And overnight, people lost everything. Overnight, they lost everything. person woke up in the morning and he... Now, the revolution took place. The army took over late at night. So people, when they woke up in the morning, many still didn't know what happened. So people woke up and started going normally as they would go to their businesses, to their factories, to their shops, whatever. They were seeing now there's something happening here, but we don't know what's happening. Person came to his factory, people were standing outside there from the army. Uh, please hand over your keys, this no more belongs to you. This is now a socialist government and the government owns everything. And overnight, people lost everything. Many trekked and moved and however they came all the way from Burma to India with almost nothing but the clothes they were wearing and what they could carry in their hands. They left, they were in the lack of luxury and comfort. Allah Ta'ala protect us, Allah Ta'ala protect our iman, our amal, our lives, our property, our wealth, and the lives and property and wealth of every Muslim. Iman and amal and the lives and property and wealth of every Muslim. This is not in any way to try and say that I am giving some other warnings, Na'udhu We are not in that capacity. But the lesson that we have to take from others. And Abul Hassan Ali Nadwi when he was saying this, he said to them also that I am not some kind of big buzruk. In his humility he said this, I am not some kind of big buzruk who is saying this. If somebody sees the clouds and then he sees it's going to rain and then it rains, nobody says that this is some very big buzruk or he was, he said something very amazing. Anybody sees the clouds, he knows it's going to rain. So he said, I can see the clouds. But that was what, where the difference was that Allah Ta'ala gave him that insight to see the clouds. Where, which others couldn't see. But he saw the clouds. And he warned the people. But they failed to take heed. And Allah forbid, what kind of conditions came thereafter? Al-Aman Al-Hafiz. It was really heartrending. We hear about Syria, we hear about these kind of things. That was the kind of situation that prevailed at that time in Burma with the Muslims. And this was something they were warned about beforehand. And primarily the point on which he warned them about this was the wastage of the na'mas of Allah Ta'ala and these lavish weddings etc. So this is something that we should not take lightly. We should not think that this is by the way. We should come back onto the way of Rasulullah There are so many things that happen which are totally inviting the wrath of Allah Ta'ala. And then the complete uh, imitation and emulation of the ways of Yahud and Nasara. For example, there are so many things that happen in these weddings. One, one, one example. This aspect of walking the bride down the aisle. Now the bride will come and somebody will walk her down the aisle up to the stage or whatever. Where did this come from? This has come from a church wedding. This has come from a church wedding. The only difference is that in the church wedding, the groom would come first and he would get to the, the priest that is waiting there at the front and then the bride would be brought in and this is something which is in the encyclopedias just for the benefit of those who might think that this is from some uh, Monana's pocket or something. What I have in front of me is the World Book Encyclopedia and Something that is mentioned here, I am reading out, that a traditional marriage ceremony begins with the bride's maids and ushers walking slowly down a center aisle to the altar. Altar is in the church. Now all these bride's maids, where did this come from? 
the church wedding, is walking down the aisle, where it came from, the church wedding, and then further down, the bride then walks down the aisle with her father, another male relative, or a family friend. And often this male relative, or a family friend, is not even mahram. And now, in the same church style, whoever is walking this bride down the aisle, has to hold the bride's hand. And now this non-mahram is holding the bride's hand. And the Hadith Sharif Nabi Salaam says, that for a steel peg, you might have seen a tin peg, or a steel nail, so a steel peg to be driven into a person's head is better than touching the hand of a non-mahram. Oh, people are shaking everybody, then all in some way are lining up and queuing up to shake hands with the bride. And whoever else. What is happening here? Now all this is in total emulation of the Nasara. And every day in the in our Salah, in Surah Al-Fatiha, we are begging Allah Ta'ala, غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَضْضَالِينَ Ya Allah, save us from the ways of the Yahud and the Nasara. But then in action, what are we doing? Now this is the way in which goes. And then further, at the altar, the bride and groom exchange marriage vows and accept each other as husband and wife. This is the little difference that may happen here is that the nikah took place in the masjid and now the groom also will come. But then what happens? This is all part of the church wedding now. The groom puts a wedding ring on the ring finger of the bride's left hand. And the bride may also give the groom a ring. And then whatever other bihayai takes place there, this is also mentioned here. So where is this coming from? So this is a church wedding. This is the wedding of the Christians. And this church wedding, this walking down the aisle, whose aisle? And like a cattle parade now, like how there's a cattle parade, one cow is now walked down for everybody to see now what it looks like. This is the reality. And this becomes the norm. Now a church wedding, the putting of the ring finger in the ring, uh, the, the uh, ring into the ring finger, and then somebody must walk the bride down, and often it is non-mahram. So, where is all going to finish off? And is this not now totally destroying the barakat of that marriage? Often as parents, we become very selfish. As parents, we become very selfish. With our own money, with our own hands, we destroy the barakat of the marriages of our children, just so that we can make a name for ourselves. This becomes the situation. That we must get a name for ourselves and we did it in style. And there is no expense spared to now do this in real style. But where is this all finishing off? Are we going to be able to answer for this on the day of Qiyamah? So this is something we need to sit and take note of. But again now, there is one more further point. The further point is that generally many of us would think that all this doesn't apply to me. I didn't, alhamdulillah, have any dancing in the wedding of my son, daughter, whatever. Or I didn't play music. Or there wasn't any intermingling in the wedding of my children. Very good, alhamdulillah. Allah ta'ala give barakat. But there's a second part to this whole discussion. And the second part is that while all this, doing all this is haram, and invites the wrath of Allah ta'ala, to attend such a function is also impermissible. So this is something for us to reflect upon. There are two things. One is maintaining family ties. Maintaining relationships. But that maintaining relationships, the first relationship that we have to maintain is the relationship with Allah Ta'ala and with Rasulullah That's the first relationship. Everything else afterwards. Allah Ta'ala created us. Allah Ta'ala is sustaining us. We are breathing the air of Allah Ta'ala for free. If a person is walking down that aisle and suddenly Allah Ta'ala takes away that ability of breathing, is that bride going to reach the end of that aisle? So, whose who's air we breathing? Allah Ta'ala created us. Who is enabling us to function? 
but then we disobey Allah Ta'ala. That, that is not something that we can compromise. The first relationship is with Allah Ta'ala and with Rasulullah He sacrificed everything so that we could be having the wealth of Iman. We could be taking the name of Allah Ta'ala. And even on the day of Qiyamah, He will be concerned about us. So now after all this, we are going to turn our backs on His way. So this is the first relationship. Then, this is not something that is being encouraged or advocated to break family ties. Breaking family ties is something else and not attending a haram function is something else. We cannot attend a haram function. That's the bottom line. We will go and visit somebody. We will go and give them our du'as. We will go before some wedding. Maybe after when there is nothing else, no haram taking place. We will go and give them our du'as and our blessings also. We will give them some gift also. Provided it is not something that is now part of this customary things. Then no problem with that. But to attend a haram function that is haram. In one hadith it is mentioned... Once Abdullah ibn Mas'ud anhu, he was invited to a walima, so he was coming there, he was on his way, he was almost there, and as he reached <coughs> from outside still, he heard some musical sound coming. So this was long into the time of the Sahaba, when many people from far and wide had now come into Islam as well, and many had settled in uh, Iraq, etc. So he had come and this, he heard something, so immediately he took a U-turn. So somebody saw him coming and then suddenly he took a U-turn. So they asked him, Malaka Rajata, what happened? You are going back? So he replied and said, that I have heard Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa that the one who adds to the numbers of a people is counted as among them. Now there are all types of haram things taking place somewhere. And somebody is there, so to say, passively. He is not actively taking part. But what will be the case? That thousand people attended this function. Thousand people attended the function where all this dancing took place. And where all this music was played. And where all this haram took place. And all this intermingling took place. And where deen and shariat and Nabi's thousand way of life was all shunted in the corner somewhere. So we added to the numbers of it. And we aided and abetted in that function. Imagine somebody did everything in style. They put that team. They spent 100,000 rands, 200,000 rands, 1 million rands in the team. And everything else. And that wedding day came and nobody attended. Nobody attended. What a success it would be. How proud they would be that we, mashallah, that team was unique. Nobody had a team like ours. And that music was something else. And the photography, that's another haram that takes place. The photography that takes place in all this. And then all those pictures are then pasted on social media and wherever else. So, will anybody do that? They would be totally broken. That nobody came. We spent all this money, nobody came. The people make the function. Despite whatever else happened there, the people make the function. And every person counts. Every person counts. La yayuzul hudur in the Majlisin Fihil Mahzur, Allah Shami Rahmatullah he summarizes this whole thing and he says it's not permissible to be in a gathering where there is haram taking place. So this is what we need to reflect on deeply. That we need to be clear about our position that without fighting with anyone, without getting into any arguments, etc. But we stay away from any haram function. Where all these kind of harams are taking place. Allah forbid, Allah forbid that azab that is raining down there, it rains down on our hearts as well while we are there. Can anybody ever say that after they left such a function and returned home, they came in a better imani spirit? Can anybody ever claim that after such a function they came in a better imani spirit? Or was the iman really dented? It's obvious. So we need to become very conscious of this. This is something which this wealth Allah has blessed us is a ni'mat. This ni'mat, we can use it for our own comfort too, within reasonable limits. By all means, Allah has made it halal. A person can enjoy the ni'mat of Allah, then we use it for the those servants of Allah who don't have these ni'mats. MashaAllah, there are some organizations from South Africa. They are working 
where they arrange for the marriage of poor couples in India, in other countries, who can, don't even have the money to buy the basic necessities of a home. And as a result, now the marriages are not taking place because the poor husband cannot afford anything. And now, if he puts a proposal somewhere, they at least, now even if the poor family, the girl is from a poor family, they wouldn't know how they're going to live together. So now they ask organizations, people, mashallah, Allah Ta'ala reward them, Allah Ta'ala accept their efforts, that they have established this kind of things in several countries. From here they are coordinating it. And a basic pack, we may call it a pack, of the basic items of a household, one basic stove, some basic utensils, a very basic bed, or some mattress, or whatever it is. We're talking about this level of essentials. Nothing on the luxury. That whole pack, which is meant to just give them the basics of their home. That might be, perhaps, perhaps what we spend on two, three people's food. Because the caterer, they charge by head. So, so much per head. So maybe, if not two, three, 15, 20 people, what sometimes are spent, what we hear about, 500 rands a head, and Allah knows best. So if it is 400 rand, 500 rand a head, then maybe even half a dozen people, what we spend on that, this is a whole couple's life being put into place. What du'a will come? And what rahmat will come from Allah's side? And what blessings this will bring for us in dunya also, and in the akhirat as well? That money that was wasted in deco, if it was put into putting shelters for people who are living out in the open. Those yatims, those orphans, those widows, those destitute people. What du'as will come from their hearts? Now we made a big fancy thing about the deco and then toyed and threw it away and made a name for ourselves. But what we lost out on? And if we already done that, how much more we could have done? Just with the money that gets wasted. If all that money was accumulated, three quarters of the ummah's poverty would be taken care of. Just the wastage, let alone the luxury, which is halal, which is within the limits of Sharia, the wastage, that too will overcome maybe half of the Ummah's poverty or more than that too. So let us now become conscious of this, turn to Allah wa ta'ala, not become swept up with the tide. Everybody is, or many people are getting, going in one direction, we also just get swept up with the tide. We need to be conscious that life is very, very short very temporary. We are here today, before tomorrow we are gone. We are gone sometimes today. How often it happens? It happens every now and again. So we need to be conscious of this, prepare for akhirat, use the ni'mat of Allah Ta'ala in a way that deposits this good for us in the akhirat. May Allah Ta'ala give me and all of us the tawfiq. Allah Ta'ala bless one and all with the best of dunya and the best of akhirat. Allah Ta'ala save us from everything that is displeasing to Him and becomes a means of azab and wrath descending upon us. وآخر دعوانا عن الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لا نحصي ثناء عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك جزا الله عنا نبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم بما هو أهله ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين رب اغفر وارحم واعفو وتكرم وتجاوز عما تعلم إنك أنت العز الأكرم اللهم إنا نسألك من خير ما سألك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعادك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم أنت المستعان وعليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه معين والحمد لله رب